We open our Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, for our scripture this morning. We will want to be mindful of a few other verses in the chapter and uh, in other chapters. Now, uh, we are preaching through Philippians in the evening, though we have been on a hiatus as I've needed to do uh, topical sermons to be able to work with our time constraints. Uh, but I want to remind you, we have already been through this chapter. We're into chapter 3, and we've looked at verses 12 to 13 together, as we will touch on today. I'm going to give you a little bit of review about verse 12 to understand it properly. But we're looking at this verse today as we study the doctrine of sanctification, and in particular, what we call progressive sanctification. I'm going to teach you, I'm going to remind you of the distinction between definitive sanctification and progressive sanctification. That's what we're going to be focusing on, that we would be progressing in holiness. As Paul calls upon us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, hear now the word of the Lord. Philippians 2, verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear, and trembling. And we're going to be focusing on that last phrase, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And we want to highlight the word work. We're going to qualify to make sure we know what it means and what it doesn't mean. But notice, work. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Well, I know I've mentioned it. I think you're observing the manifestation of this a bit, but I am adjusting to my new glasses. And I'm already feeling kind of a little bit dizzy. I'm tired, but I'm trying to keep them on because that's how I'm going to get used to them. I, as you know, I've been saying for uh, how many years now, I got to get my new glasses. I got to update my prescription. I'm like, doing this all the time and doing this to read the Bible. Okay, now I'll see you. And that's silly. I got to get my new glasses. And I got my progressive glasses. Uh, so they're kind of like bifocals, but you know they're blended, so you don't see the lines. So that's what's really funny. I'm I'm seeing all these things, but you're not seeing it. You know, what? I just want you to know, I didn't get into the communion wine before the service, and in some bad way, I am adjusting to my glasses, my progressive glasses, and it is not natural for me. It's a lot of work. I am struggling. I've only had them since Wednesday, and it is very awkward. Even as I'm looking at you now and working, I'm like, oh, boy. But I'm going to keep them on. I'm going to try not to comment too much. You know, the lady who helped me when I first got the glasses, I was all excited. They told me that it would take a while to adjust. But I said, ah, you know, I'm usually pretty quick to adjust these things. I have a strong stomach, and I'm usually pretty quick to adjust. I'll be all right. And they showed me, uh, one of the things is that the glasses are like our glasses. I, I paid the extra to have them go as much as out, but the, the, the edges of the glasses, the peripheral vision is really not there. It's not like my other glasses. And I'll tell you why in a minute. It's kind of like an hourglass design, the prescription part, where you have the distance on the top, the intermediate in the middle, and the close for reading on the bottom. Uh, but when, she, when I first put them on, the lady helped me for about 20 minutes coaching me. You want to know why? Because as soon as I put them on, I'm like, oh boy, I can't wait. Ah, something's wrong. They're not right. I wasn't quite this dramatic, but I wasn't that undramatic. Ah, uh, not, this isn't good. I don't know. I think you might have done something wrong. I think there's a big smudge. You got to. And so she cleaned them for me and I put them back. She says, "No, there's no smudge. No, 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 no. no seriously." And then I learned what I have to learn how to use these things. 
<laughs> I don't know how to use them. And I'm looking through the wrong part and everything's blurry. I'm like, I can't believe this. I'm going back. I'm not. 20 minutes, she helped me. She helped me understand. I said, okay, I'm going to do this. Then I kind of joked with her. All right, I got it. Don't worry. She's afraid. You sure you're going to be okay driving? She said, yeah, I think so. Learn how to do the distance, you know. I think I'll be all right. I said, okay, I'll see you later. I'm going to go to the door now. And I teased her and I walked towards the back of the building. And she's like, no, just kidding. I know where the door is, you know. But it was, it was that alarming. It was that disturbing for me. I've only had them since Wednesday. And uh, Josh and I had a three-hour meeting and I had to keep saying, Josh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm really struggling. You know? <laughs> and I keep taking off my, my glasses and, you know, I wanted to make sure it wasn't him. It was me. It was my glasses. I've, it's going to take two weeks to feel normal. And that's what they told me. And I'm like, ah, now I get it. It's going to take me two weeks, but I'm going to trust her. But it's going to take me two weeks to adjust to my new progressive lenses. And beloved, I've been thinking about it. That's like progressive sanctification, I think, more than we maybe want to recognize. As we progress in our sanctification, as we get new eyes and a new way of looking at things, it isn't always so immediately, boop. I was even thinking of the miracle. There's other reasons for this, but you know, Jesus spit and put the mud on the man's eyes to, to see, but when he first, he still just saw movements like shadows and then he fully healed him. There's reasons for that, but I thought of that too. You know, our, our sanctification is a progress. It's to be distinguished from definitive sanctification. So for instance, in chapter one of our text, verse one, Paul refers to the Philippians as saints. Now, as he goes through, he's clearly recognizing we're also sinners. That's why the call to be working out our sanctification. But positionally, legally before God, we've been justified. We've been sanctified. We've been made holy. We've been set apart as his holy people, his holy nation. We're not holy in ourselves, but God is and Christ is. And in our union with him, he makes us positionally holy before him. So that's definitive sanctification. That's a done thing. But unlike other things, sanctification is also a process. We need to keep growing in our holiness in this world. Being a Christian is demanding and rewarding work. I give that to you as the main idea as I hone in with you on this one part of the phrase, work out your salvation, your own notice, your own salvation. By the way, let's remember that. Don't be worried about the other guy, the other gal. Let's focus on me. Let you focus on you, right? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now notice, I'm not going to give a lot of attention to fear and trembling as I did originally preaching this, but notice this fear and trembling. This sense of humility before the Lord that's already been talked about. This sense of, Lord, help me to do better. Help me to do better for your body. Help me to be doing better than all the things you're criticizing about your people so often. In this chapter alone of the history of your people and nation, help me to do better. Let me approach you with a reverence and a concern that I know I'm still a sinner and I know it's a battle and I got to take this battle seriously. And if I don't, I'm going to have a lot of war wounds and I'm going to get a lot of other people hurt. Help me to work out this sanctification. Help me to progress. Being a Christian is demanding and rewarding work. I think it's important to be reminded of that so we know what we're getting into. As Jesus says elsewhere, count the cost. You're going to follow me. You're no longer going to follow you in this world. And that's going to mean an completely different life turned upside down. I'm now up top as the head. A complete change of life. And you know, when you make a huge change of life, it's not all immediate, right? You move to a new place. Move across the country, you take a new job, 
You know what it's like to be working for the first... It takes about at least two weeks to get used to a new job, right? It's, even if you've had somebody train you, which is often not the case. It's, usually, it's often baptism by fire, by my experience anyways. I mean, you're like trying to figure things out. You don't even know where the bathroom is. You know, all these, it just takes a lot just to get your email going. and It takes progress. But if you know that, you know what you're committing yourself to, and you can be merciful to yourself and faithful to trust the Lord along the way and make progress. Now, this phrase we're focusing on, working out salvation, it does not mean that you save yourself by your works. That is something we have to make sure we understand. You are not saved by your works. Your works, as Isaiah says, are filthy rags before the Lord. As Paul says in the next chapter, my righteousness is like dung. If I can be more crass, as I was in that sermon, it's crap. So let's cut the crap. And let's recognize, I have nothing to offer God. I am a sin. Sinner, sinner, sinner. I am guilty at birth. I am corrupt. I need Christ to save me, to make me clean, to bless me, to be forgiven in his mercy and salvation, in his perfect righteousness on my behalf, in his paying for my filthy sins. All of my righteousness are filthy rags. As Jacob says, have mercy on me, O Lord. I'm not worthy of the least of your mercies. We need to recognize before we get going talking about this, we're not talking about a works-based salvation. We cannot save ourselves. Again, Paul says in Romans, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. But he also says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely, not by works, freely, by his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, that's free. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we do not work salvation. As we know, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, explains we don't save ourselves by works. These are things that are ordained for us. We simply live them out in Christ, right? By grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. But it's that walking in them. It's that walking in the Spirit, as Paul says in Galatians, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. We need to see the fruit of the Spirit But the living in the Spirit is a gift of God. The fruit really is, too. His fruit as he works with us as we work with him. So we're not talking about works-based salvation. We're talking about working out our salvation, letting our salvation work itself out in our sanctification. And on that note, I want to give you some review from when we first looked at this text, verse 12. Working out salvation does not mean saved by works, but it is referring to sanctification. Early, earlier in our exegetical series through Philippians, the sermon on this text, along with verse 13, showed us that it's not about meriting before God, but putting it to its intended use. Saved to serve and to keep serving better. The Greek word for working means prepare or subdue. You can think of what we know from Corinthians. I beat my body into submission to Jesus Christ. I take every thought captive to the Lord Jesus Christ. Subdue, prepare, using what is there, that is. Using what is there. 
the yeast of the kingdom of heaven that's been put in you. Let it work itself out throughout you in your life. Gordon Clark explains, looking ahead to verse 13, verse 12 is not referring to a moment of regeneration. For example, as we say, I was saved. It's referring to the process resulting from the fact that we are saved. Sanctification and eventually glorification, he says, are also parts of salvation. Therefore, when Paul says, work out your own salvation, thereby indicating a process or progress, he is referring to sanctification and not to regeneration. Regeneration is God's one work. It's monolithic. It's monergistic, I should say. It's his one work, but everything, faith, sanctification, all things comes out of it. But we're talking about sanctification, something that comes out of the seed of regeneration. Paul is thinking of them to continue to run and win the race, such as in chapter 1. Look at chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, saying, I want you to continue to let this salvation work itself out in you. Verse 19, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be life or by death. No matter what's going to happen to me, remember he's writing as a prisoner, literally probably chained to his guard 24 hours a day. He's writing, by the way, other things about joy. (laughs) And he's happy for his persecution if it extends the gospel. But he's talking about, I know, I'm encouraged to know that God is going to use all of this to work in me and to work out his glory. That's the idea, that we'd be working out the salvation God has given us. That is, growing in sanctification to glorify him. Kenneth S. West explains as well, the words work out are the translation of a Greek word which means to carry out the goal, to carry to its ultimate conclusion. We say the student worked out a problem in arithmetic. That is the way it is used here. The Philippians are exhorted to carry their salvation to its ultimate conclusion, namely Christ-likeness. The salvation spoken of here is not justification, but sanctification, victory over sin, and the living of a life pleasing to the Lord Jesus. They are to see to it that they make progress in their Christian lives. Again, progress. That's what this is about. You know, it's ultimately God's work in us. Verse 13 For it is, of chapter 2, back to chapter 2. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So we're called to have that working out of God's sovereign grace and salvation in us. We're called to be working it out. But what encourages us to know is that it's because he's working it in us. He's working it through us. He will work it out one day perfectly as we're in heaven. Uh, Notice chapter 1, verse 6, an important verse we know we love well. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God started the work. The fullness of it will happen. And so you're called along the way to be seeing that happen, to be letting it grow in you. But it's based on God. Look ahead also to chapter 3, again, verse 12. 
Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Christ has apprehended me and saved me, and now I want to apprehend all of life and serve better and better for him. But he's recognizing, I haven't attained it all. I'm calling you to do the same as me, to keep serving Jesus better and better. Keep working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Not fear of condemnation and death, but just that reverence for God who has saved you and given you life in Christ. You know, that's what we remember Psalm 57 verse 2 said, God performs for me. He's performing these things for me. That's how I have confidence to keep working it out. Uh, Psalm 138 verse 8 says, the Lord will perfect me. The Lord will perfect me. That's the P in tulip, the perseverance of the saints. The Lord will help us. But it does mean the perseverance of the saints, the progress and sanctification of the saints. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 24, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. So let's review what sanctification is as we continue. The Westminster Shorter Catechism question and answer 35 explained to us, sanctification is the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. Let me break that down for you there. First part is what we refer to again as definitive sanctification. It is the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God. That's definitive. He's made us his saints. We are represented by Christ in Christ, with Christ as holy. He sees us as holy because of Christ who is holy and the Holy Spirit within us. Now, I want to point out, however, that it says sanctification is a work. And I think this is really reflecting the second part of the question. The catechism says justification is an act. That means one time done completely. Uh, It says adoption is an act, one time done completely, with its continual effect, but one time done. Sanctification is called a work, meaning it's an ongoing process in us. And so that, I think, relates ultimately to the main second part. Sanctification is a work of the Spirit whereby we are enabled more and more. Notice it's by God's free grace, by the way. (laughs) We are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. This is what we're talking about today. We're focusing on progressive sanctification, that we would be making progress in holiness and godliness following the Lord which, as we'll reflect tonight when we study two things the Lord says his will is for us in terms of specifics for the church, thankfulness, we'll focus on tonight, very closely related, and the other thing he highlights in the same letter to the Thessalonians, sanctification. So if he's doing it and it's his will, we can be encouraged however much we fail and have to keep getting back on the horse, keep getting back on the bike, (laughs) We're going to progress. We will progress because he's working it in us. We can be encouraged, but we are also to make progress. So, for instance, Gabriel and I are going to go on a daddy-son date tomorrow, Lord willing, tomorrow, if not this week. And we're going to, first of all, we're going to go enjoy what one of the other sons did 
boy, it's so fun to see their face light up when they see at this certain place I found a macaroni and cheese sandwich as big as their head, <laughs> you know. But we're all, yeah, I know, he's excited, amen, right? But then the other thing we're going to do is I'm going to teach him how to ride his bike better because he's still got training wheels, and because he's a little more comfortable and familiar with his little boy bike with no pedals and things, but he knows, I want to learn, I want to learn. It's going to take progress, and one t- sometime I'm going to have his next in line there to show him because just with all the kids, there's going to be falling down, there's going to be skin knees. There's going to be have to face your feelers and get back on. And you're going to want to go back to the other one. But you're going to thank me later. And then I won't be able to catch you. And that's what always happens every time. And that's what's going to happen for him. I'm only hesitant because then it's going to be harder to catch him. Woohoo! See you later, Dad. But that's the thing that a father wants for a son. That's what the Father, Holy Father, wants for us. And that's what we want as we respond and work with our Father to teach us and empower us. And we start to be able to ride without training wheels. And it's an incredibly different ride, isn't it? It's so much better. Being saved by Christ's work results in our need to get work, get to work. Putting more of Christ on us, putting more of our old man off of us, and putting more of our new man on us. That's the life of the Christian referred to in Romans 13, 14, Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, Colossians 3, 9 to 10. This putting off and the putting on. Let me ask yourself, does anybody dress you? I mean, some of us might need that at different stages of our life. Gabriel's getting pretty good at doing a lot of his own, but still needs help. But eventually, if we're growing, we put our clothes on. I had to double check yesterday. Something's wrong. I thought I had the buttons out of order. Mr. Renner has a good illustration. You've got to start with the buttons in the right place. But if you didn't get it right, you start over, right? And you put off. I've been throwing out some more old clothes. I've gotten some new clothes. Well, they're, they're from Goodwill, but to me, they're new. And I like this shirt. Yeah, Goodwill. All right, like $7. Eh? But, uh, you know, but new clothes that fit me better, that are not worn and stained, you know, that's the idea. But it's work. I had to go find them. You know, it, it's work to put them on, to put the clothes on, to put them off. It's work to clean them. They don't stay clean by themselves. They need to constantly be washed, right? They need to be always ironed. I mean, it doesn't just happen. And that's the idea. We put off the old. We put on more of the new. Welcome to the Christian life. It's never over until heaven. But it is progress. And we get better at cleaning our clothes, and we get better at putting our clothes on and ironing them, and we start to get better tastes, right? My wife says she thinks I have good taste when I come home with some of these shirts, and I thank her, but I didn't used to have it. I've had to learn what matches, and there's times in my life I'm like, oh yeah, that was a mistake. (laughs) You know, we get better at it. We grow in it, but it's always work, but the work is worth it. It gives more glory to God, and the point today is this. Sanctification involves a lot of work. It involves great adjustment. And that's ongoing when we make major efforts of progress, including progressing in our sanctification. I want you to consider these two other verses. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You see that fear of God again, that reverence. I want to praise you, Lord. I want to please you. I want to lift up your... I don't want to take your name in vain before the world. I want to represent you the way I confess you. Remembering that Titus says, some of us prove our profession is false by our lifestyle. 
Now, this doesn't mean we're not sinning. This doesn't mean we keep falling. That's understood in it. But we're seeking to make progress. We're always hating it. We're never comfortable with it. We come back after we've fallen. We're the prodigal son that goes back to the father. We say, let me serve you. But notice, having the promises, we have them. God has given them to us. Therefore, what should we do with them, dearly beloved? Cleanse ourselves and keep perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5-11. through 11. I'm not going to go there with you. I'm not going to read it all. I want to highlight some things for you from it. Giving all diligence, adding to your faith virtue in a number of things. Neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Brethren, give diligence. That's twice. By the way, remember in Hebrews it says that the Lord rewards those who diligently seek him. Brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. Jerry Bridges, in his book, The Pursuit of Holiness, highlights Hebrews 12, verse 14 to us. I want to share it with you here and discuss it with you a bit. Paul says, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Not that we make ourselves holy and then we see the Lord, but rather, if we're not seeking holiness and growing in holiness, then God then we probably don't have the Holy Spirit in us. We haven't turned to the Holy One, Jesus Christ, to be saved. If we don't want holiness here, then we're not going to be in heaven because it's all going to be about holiness. Around God who is holy, 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 according to Isaiah 6, referenced again in Revelation. The whole earth is full of his glory. But notice it says, follow peace, but what else? Follow holiness. That is to say, grow in your sanctification. That is to say, work out your salvation. Let it have its work in you. Let it work itself out in you. Grow in holiness. Let it take its effect. That word follow could be translated pursuit or pursue. We have that idea of pursue, right? Striving after, trying to get it. Go after it. Follow. Pursue holiness. Follow could be pursue. And Jerry Bridges says that pursuit is the key word. For holiness. Pursuit is the key word. He says it has the idea of diligence in the Christian life and effort in the Christian life required as a lifelong task. And then he notes something from William Hendrickson, which I appreciate. You hear him quoted often. We have many of his commentaries, Dutch Reformed theologian. William Hendrickson, he quotes saying this, salt combats deterioration. Salt compats deterioration. Now, what are we called to be? Light unto the world, but also what? Salt to the earth. That they would see our good works, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, early in Matthew. That they would, chapter 5, I believe, they would see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Come and worship our Father in heaven. It's our good works. It's the fruit that draws the attention of others to Jesus. Because we recognize it's his working in us. But look what he's working in us. And look as we work with him and cooperate. Look what the Spirit's doing in us. All for his glory. But, but look what he's working in and through us. And salt, if we are to be salt of the earth, salt combats deterioration. What that means is it's active. Fighting against what would otherwise be deterioration. That's what you've got to be for your own self. 
with the Lord working in you, the word of the Lord. Salt is a preservative, but it's fighting against deterioration. It's not inactive. Romans 7, verse 21, we see Paul himself talks about a battle. It's a battle for holiness. And he takes his resolve and peace Going into chapter 8, thank the Lord Jesus Christ who has saved me from this body of flesh. Thank the Lord Jesus Christ because in him I can cry out, Abba, Father, by his spirit I know I'm a son of God. Uh, Even though I do what I don't want to do and I don't want to do what I want to do. He describes this battle of holiness until the Lord comes back. This reality, even for him, he refers to himself as the chief of sinners. Sanctification involves much effort, and we should not be deterred. We should not be discouraged to make progress because of setbacks and awkward adjustments. It may not always be quick. Oh, I'm not saying there aren't immediate benefits. Just like when you pull a tooth that's bad out, you have some pretty immediate results, right? And I encourage that. But it doesn't mean you don't have to keep brushing your teeth, eh? It doesn't mean you can just put all kinds of junk there and sleep with it in there and you're not going to have more problems, right? You still got to take care of yourself. And sometimes we forget to floss a little bit. We forget to brush at night and we got to catch up. It's not always quick and easy, but it, and it always does involve ongoing effort. Horatius Bonar in his book, God's Way of Holiness, says this. Speaking of the fact that it comes from Christ and his cross that we can even have this discussion... He goes on to say, our cross remains. Christ's cross doesn't remain. That's once and for all. It's done. He saved us once and for all on his cross. But our cross, working on our salvation that he's given and put in us, letting it have its working out in us, our cross, he says, remains. And much of Christian life consists in a true, honest, decided bearing of it. He says, he that would be holy must fight. He that would be holy must fight. 1 Timothy 1 verse 8, war a good warfare. Uh, 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight. 2 Corinthians 10.4, it is a spiritual war with spiritual weapons. As we get great detail about also in Ephesians 6 verses 13 to 17. Put on the whole armor of God. Because you have enemies of the principalities of this world shooting arrows at you constantly and looking to devour you like a lion. Thus, 1 Peter 2, verse 2 says, grow. And how do you do that? Grow by milk. Right now, boy, our little guy, 18 months, he still loves his milk. And the man, oh man, he just growing like crazy. It's funny how before he was eating solids, that milk sure did a lot. We need to get to meat, Paul says, solid food that is. But grow by milk. But, you know, he, I don't drink the milk for him. In fact, you hear effort. You ever hear a little guy when they're really hungry? Yeah. <laughs> like a little piggy, right? It's work. It's effort to get the pure milk of God to grow. And then we grow. Second Peter 3, 18, grow in grace. The means of grace you're coming to right now, for instance. The main means of grace in Sabbath worship. Grow by the means of grace. But again, grow. You know, the plants do not grow outside without the sunlight. We come to Jesus, who is the son of righteousness, with healing in his wings, as we come before him, especially in worship. And he works primarily shining his light upon us, his life-giving light, especially as we come to Jesus. We worship and serve him together. And we grow, but it takes effort. We don't grow hiding under our bed covers. 
Ephesians 4.15 says, grow up. <laughs> grow up. Growing up takes effort. You got to eat your food. We're always teaching Gabriel. And a lot of times I say, boy, you're getting big. He says, yeah, because I eat my food. And he is. After I put Gideon down to pick up Gabriel, I'm like, oh, you're getting heavy. Why? Because he's eating his food. He's growing. It takes work to grow. Now, Abraham, I don't really try to pick him up anymore too much. A little bit. He's really growing. He still likes his food, eh? But, you know, there's other things. He's growing. It's natural that we'd be maturing and our bodies grow the way God made them to grow. But we're to grow up. We want to see our children grow up into adults. And growth involves stumbling along the way. And growth involves awkward transitions, such as voices changing for the, the younger men, perhaps, you know, certain clothes not fitting the way they can, hard to find something, before we settle in our new skin. And there's going to be those places, you might almost think of us as a lizard in a sense. In fact, I've heard it said, uh, the, the crocodile, the alligators, they never stop growing. Until they die. You know, that should be us. We should be crocodiles. I think somebody told us that when we were showing our crocodile uh, crocs <laughs> for the youngest boys to somebody. We're always growing. And, that's what, and so just like, you know, the little lizards, uh, you know, we're always shedding our skin as we're growing. But there's times where we're in our new skin for a while till we're ready to start growing for the next skin. I want you to remember Proverbs twenty four sixteen: A just man falleth seven times. And riseth up again. Keep getting up. Keep getting better. Get on the bike. I remember when Abraham was learning to ride his bike, he fell down. It was so cute. He quoted Daniel the tiger, something like this. Uh, you know, when you fall or when, when you have a mistake, you get up and you, you try, 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 and you'll get better. I'm like, yes, that's right. That's right. He was like, three at the time, you know, but that's right. We keep trying and we'll get better by the Holy Spirit working in us because the Holy Spirit's working in us. Things I learned about making progress this week for you to keep in mind, to keep your hand to the plow as you progress in sanctification. Let me share with you a little more, some thoughts I've had to encourage us to keep about progressing in sanctification as I keep learning how to make progress with my progressive lenses. First of all, you need to train your brain. You need to train your brain. That's what they told me. The hourglass design, I said, why don't they have it go all the way to the ends of my glasses? I don't get it. And they said, we think one of the main reasons is, is it's making you learn to focus where you need to focus to best use your glasses, the best transition through where those transitions are. So you actually have to train your brain. You're going to be, that's why it's also difficult, right? Especially as we're older. <laughs> You're going to be training your brain. You have to train your brain. And they said it's kind of like those blinds they put on the horses to keep them looking in the right direction. And I have noticed I can't look the same way anymore. I got to do it differently. I'll tell you more about that. But you've got to train your brain. Some of us have discussed recently, you know, sin and certain sins have a chemical effect in your body, but they also have an effect in your brain. And we have to have building that new habit. You know, we are growing in holiness is training our brain to think differently. Training our brain and spiritually in our mind and our body how to think and act differently. And so I'm having to learn to train my brain. <laughs> Number two, it takes time to get used to a new habit. 
Again, they told me it'll take about two weeks to feel normal. They said, keep the glasses on. Don't quit. There's a lady in the creative writing class I was teaching this week. And my, it was the next day after I had my glasses, and I kept saying, guys, I'm sorry. And I'm saying, I have to look at you like the teacher now. Look at her. Are you there? You know? And um, I've been teasing Fernanda. Are you there, honey? Because <laughs> it's just, it's really a lot. It's surprising. It's really causing me a lot of exhaustion, a lot of dizziness. And I'm rubbing my eyes a lot. I'm finding it very difficult. But they said, get ready to face it for two weeks. Now, they told me that originally. And she's reminding me when I pick them up and I'm panicking, it's going to take two weeks. A lot of people complain of nausea and headaches. And it takes about two weeks. Some people want their old glasses back immediately. And uh, uh, the lady in my class, she said, well, yeah, I got these progressive lenses, but they didn't tell me it takes two weeks. So after one week, I gave them back. <laughs> you know, It takes time. Don't quit. You may experience difficulty and discomfort. Again, headaches, nausea, me, exhaustion, and dizziness. It's not going to come natural at first. You're going to struggle. But you are making progress as you're learning. Paul says in Philippians 4, learn this contentment. It doesn't come naturally. Uh, here's one that really stands out. You may appear awkward to others. <laughs> my, life, my wife's been laughing at me a little bit, especially as I explained to her how the children were laughing at me in my class. I was like, sorry, guys, I'm really struggling here. <laughs> you know, I've got to take them out. And I'm like, okay, I can't. I'm trying to do the attendance. Oh, hold on a minute. You know? <laughs> and I mean, the first day, oh, it's like I'm trying to get used to these different things. And I have to look down, look through, look up, look through. And the intermediate is, oh, really giving me trouble. Having a hard time with my computer. And as I've been preaching to you today, my Bible's going in and out. I have to learn how where to bring my head. And I'm, okay, I'm trying to look at you. And it ain't easy. <laughs> now, I'm not going to talk about this later. I don't want to distract you. But I'll share that with you now. I'm trying to make progress, and I'm looking awkward. If I don't look awkward to you, I'm surprised, because I find myself going, you know, trying to, you know, get the lenses in the right place. And of course, when you're first learning something, it's a little bit too much, you know, and overdone, you know, as we're learning these new things. So you might look awkward. I've learned I have to look not with my eyeballs, but with my nose and my chin. And, and, and I notice, like, even on my computer, even with you, I can't see you guys in focus. I have to turn to you. Oh, there you are, Mr. Ritter. Okay. I can see you, but you look kind of funny. No, no offense. No, now you look licensed. You know, I have to learn how to do these things. They said to me, though, after a while, it becomes second nature. After a while, it becomes second nature. But you've got to train. You might look awkward, and I want to encourage you all, especially as we have young, those young in the faith, but really all of us as we have to learn some things. Some of you in your golden years are having to learn how to live life differently in different ways, right? And it's awkward. Hey, we're going to look awkward as we learn these new things. Be patient with one another. Don't make fun of each other. Support one another. Laugh and say, you should have seen me when I first tried to start working on that thing, you know. Sometimes you might look funny and you might look at things funny and confused. Another thing, there are nuances to learning how to see things and subtle distinctions. These three lenses, there's nuances. I have to learn, oh, just, okay, just a little adjustment. As I'm driving or as I'm looking at my computer, there's these nuances, there's these subtleties. You learn how to get discernment in the spirit and look at things, you learn how to look carefully and you look at directly at things that you might not have before. Also, Again, it takes time to get used to looking at life through a new pair of lenses that are progressive. You are learning to see things differently. It takes time to be able to see 
You're going to keep wanting to look with your old eyes. You're going to want to keep putting your old glasses on. Keep them on. It takes time as you learn to see things more in the spirit by the word. Walking by faith, not by sight, as it were. You must keep your glasses on. People have said, why don't you take your glasses off for a while? I do a little bit, but my, nope, nope, keeping it on. I'm going to go two weeks. I'm not going to quit, and I'm just going to get through this because I'd rather be able to see in two weeks as opposed to five weeks. <laughs> I'm just going to get through this. I'm going to trudge through it. Keep them on. Don't give up. Don't stop. And you need to keep your head down a bit. I've noticed if I'm going to do this right, I've got to keep my chin down a little bit so I can look through the top. I can see you better. I go like this. I'm like, ah, there's a smudge. Oh, no, no, there it is. Okay, you know. And if I'm looking at my computer, I have to bring it up and get it like in the intermediate. I also have to get it where the, it's about arms of reach LA. It's meant for your laptop. You know? My problem is I got short arms. <laughs> so I don't know if it's the right. It doesn't seem to be working as good. And then the other thing is when I'm going to read, I got to know that I got to tip my head. This is where my wife really laughs me. Or, or, <laughs> you know? and I, I got I to gotta hold it there. And I let, but, oh, wow. Looks great. But I have to learn how to look through the bottom of my lenses. So you have to get these subtleties of learning how to look at things with subtleties and nuances. But also you need to keep your head down. I've got to keep my head down to look through the right places. And I think to myself, that's not a bad thing. You know, sometimes we, we have to say, keep, keep your chin up, but really keep your head down. Humble yourself. Don't let people look at you thinking you're more proud than you are. Keep your... Keep your chin down a bit, because God lifts up the humble, but humbles the, those who lift themselves up. Keep, keep your chin down a little bit. Now, I don't want to be mistakenly judging everybody, but if it keeps my head down a little bit before everyone, remember my place, Philippians 2, where we're at. Count others better than myself, esteem others better than myself, as Christ did himself, dying on the cross, even the, the death of the cross. You also need to make extra effort to focus by paying attention to direct your nose and chin. I've, I've found this is not a bad thing necessarily. You have to become more deliberate in how you train yourself to pay more attention to others. So I don't know if Abraham noticed, but I was at Costco with him and I was just kind of, I thought I must look like a bird or a peacock, you know, I was kind of coming in and out and I was really trying to get him in focus, you know. And if I'm, the intermediate is what I'm saying. So I'm like, okay, maybe I'm going to, you know. But, but it's not, is it really such a bad thing that we would pay more attention to others? Pay more attention to what's going on. Pay more attention to the details of one another's lives. Focusing more on them and less on ourselves. Struggling, striving to see not only Jesus, but to see them and Jesus in them. Noticing things I haven't noticed because I'm not trying hard enough, but now I have to. I don't want to lose that when it becomes natural. Another thing, learn from others who have exceeded and love it. The lady who has helped me put my, figure out my lenses and encouraged me, don't give up, give two weeks. I said, well, what about you? She says, I have progressive lenses. Oh, you do? Well, did this happen to you? Yeah. Well, what about now? I love them. I would never wear anything else. Now, those of you who choose not to wear progressive, don't worry about it. Stay with the illustration. <laughs> you know, the point of where we're going. But, you know, she says, I love it. I'd never do anything else. But, yeah, it took me time. And, in fact, I'm going to get new glasses pretty soon. And I'm going to get progressives. I'm trying to convince my dad because he's always like, I got this one for that. I got this one for reading. You know, you're going to lose them all. And uh, I'm going to trust it's going to be worth that because I always lose my glasses. I always like to blame my wife. What'd you do with my glasses? <laughs> and the last time I did that, she had them in her hand. You forgot them over here. <laughs> you know. But uh, you need to learn from others who have succeeded to encourage you. Hey, talk to someone. Can you encourage me? Yeah, I understand. Hey, let me tell you where I used to be on this, and now I'm here. You're going to look back, and you're going to like the way you look compared to the way you look now. And then 10 years, even more. Let others who have gone before you encourage you. Lastly, a lesson I think I'm learning is it's worth it. 
it is worth it. I do have to give up a few things. I think over time I won't notice, they say. But it's worth it because you begin to enjoy the benefits. I want to give you an example. I'm looking at you right now. You're always beautiful, but I can see especially how beautiful you are right now. Now watch this. Bam! Clear as crystal. Look at that. I'm reading it right there. Now I've had to adjust. I've, I've learned the pulpit's a little lower, so I'm having to work with the intermediate. So if I look dizzy for a while, I'm just trying to adjust. <laughs> you know? I don't want to be like this all the time. You know? Whoa! Just knocked off my thing here. Well, there you go. I told you it would be awkward. I did not plan that. <laughs> okay, but there, here's the thing. What have you been noticing before time? Oh, man, take off my glasses, especially outside to lead us in singing the Psalter because I just can't read it. I've got to hold my glasses like this, you know, or I can't read my Bible. The kids were saying, yeah, at class the other day, homeschooling group uh, in chapel, the pastor about my age, I think, was doing the same thing with his phone, trying to, you know. So now I can look it straight at you, and then I can go like this. Boom! And I can't tell how you how much I love that. That is such a benefit. That is such an improvement. I'm going to work on the rest to where I get, I get my brain just knows how to work through the intermediate, go to the right place at the right time over time. But right now, I can read all of this so well, nice and close, and it feels so good. I haven't been able to do that, and I've been getting so tired And after I work through this, I'm not going to be tired all the time anymore because I won't be straining to see. It's worth it. It'll be worth it for you because soon I won't talk about this and you'll never have to deal with me doing this all the time. Beloved, remember Philippians 4.13 as well. You can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth you. Jerry Bridges writes, We must correct Mold and train our moral character. Remember 1 Timothy 4, verse 7. Exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Exercise thyself unto godliness. We know what exercise is. It takes effort. It takes sweat. Exercise thyself unto godliness. Fernanda and I were at the Y this week again. We only pull it off once with all the busyness, but we got out there once and we're on the treadmills. I always joke she's got long legs. I got short legs, so to keep up with her, I'm always like trying to keep up with her, you know, regal walks. And, you know, I went around to the different hydraulic stuff and I usually just do a little bit after the, after walking the treadmill. I just do a little bit. And, uh, you know, I still feel the weight lifting in my muscles. It's been four days since Tuesday, I guess it is. Or maybe it was Thursday. Wednesday, I forget. Day I got my glasses. Might have been Wednesday. Okay. But still, a couple of days, eh? And, you know, I'm feeling it still. My shoulders, and you know, back here, you know, especially where I, I'm going to do one more set of reps, you know. And I'm feeling it. It didn't feel normal yet. It doesn't feel good yet. It doesn't feel like I've really gotten somewhere yet. I have not yet adjusted physically. But I'm already encouraged. I'm already adjusting, changing my behavior, doing it more often. I'm encouraged mentally. I tried. And thus, I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep growing. And we're going to try to do more next week because we have less busy things going on. And over time, I may never be a muscle man. I doubt it. But I will be stronger in my mind and I will be stronger in my body because it will adjust and it will begin to feel normal to be doing those muscle activities that are not normal to me yet. And I'll like the new me more each day. 
especially as it becomes more natural to me. And then I try to take it a little further, run a little longer, lift a little more, get to another place. And beloved, so will you, like yourself, more and more each day as you look more and more conformed to the image of Christ. It is worth the spiritual exercise. Sanctification is hard work, and it is rewarding work. And that is the message for you this morning. Sanctification is hard and rewarding work. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Sanctification is hard and rewarding work. Now let's get at it by God's grace. Let us pray. Lord, we do thank you that you call us unto holiness. Let us see you more, for the pure in heart shall see God. Let us see you more as we make progress in holiness. Oh, Holy Spirit, do your work in us. Convict us of sin. Lead us to Jesus. Cause us to follow and be more like Jesus. Cause us to kill and put off the old man, to put on and vivify the new, to put on more of Christ. Let us remember that you have done a work in us, and so it's naturally working itself out, but we're called to help it work itself out more deliberately, more diligently, that we would bear more fruit for you, that we'd be a brighter light to the world, that we'd be a stronger effect of salt combating destruction in this world, in this earth. Lord, help us to fight the good fight. Help us to exercise ourselves unto godliness, recognizing it's hard so that we do it, expecting it so and we don't give up, but also looking forward to the reward. For you call upon all who persevere to overcome, and you will give us the rewards of the tree of life. Oh, Lord, you call us to persevere, to bear under and overcome. And you say that those who seek to serve you by faith, diligently, you will reward. So, Lord, reward us this day if we have exercised ourselves, coming to the means of grace when we might have laid in bed. Lord, use these means of grace to help your servants grow in grace and protect them, for Satan has arrows flying at them at this moment to get them to give up. Lord, help them to beat their bodies into submission to the Lord Jesus Christ, to take every thought captive under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us be what we are, more than conquerors, with victory in Jesus. And we pray in his name. And all your people said, Amen.